0: Hey, this is Melissa Green, and you are listening to Grace Point Church's podcast. Our vision statement at Grace Point is loving God, loving self, and loving others. If you want to find out more, visit gracepoint.net. On this fourth Sunday of Easter, because that's what this is, the fourth Sunday of Easter in the season of Eastertide, we're continuing our series on the Bible. And by Bible, we mean the Hebrew and the Christian scriptures, Right? what we call the Old and the New Testament. Guiding us the past three weeks and into this fourth week and for a couple of more has been the 24th chapter, it's the final chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, It's a text that covers, follow this, we've talked about it a, a, a bit, but that 24th chapter covers a period of 40 days. The 40 days from the resurrection of Jesus from the grave to the 40th day when he ascended. You remember, took the disciples out to the mountain, he ascended into the heavens. So 24th chapter of Luke covers that 40 day period. The Bible said at the end of the 40 days, the disciples watched him ascend into the heavens and the angels appeared to them and said, why are you standing here gazing? Go to Jerusalem as Jesus has already told you, tarry there. The Bible says they go to Jerusalem, 10 days later, Acts 2 says on the day of Pentecost, The Holy Spirit fell, and we know that as the birth of the church of the day of Pentecost. So that's a 50-day period from the resurrection to Pentecost. But the first 40 days of that we've been looking at, and that first 40 days is covered in Luke 24. Of particular note to us in that story, very important note to us, has been how immediate the efforts of the risen Lord were, in terms of getting the disciples back to the Scripture, back to the sacred text, what we would call the Hebrew Scriptures, the Jewish Scriptures, or the Old Testament. Immediate from the two, he appears to the two women. The Bible said he leaves them, and he meets two men traveling from Jerusalem. They're his disciples. One of them is named Cleopas, the other is unnamed. These two fellows are traveling from Jerusalem to a village seven miles away called Emmaus. And the Bible says the Lord engages them there and almost immediately, interestingly, before even making clear who he was, they didn't know this was Jesus, the risen Lord. The Bible says that he made the scripture come alive for them he began to interpret and open their minds that they might understand the scripture. Look at the text, we'll look at the text really quickly and I wanna just cover a few things here that we've alluded to, very important. Then he said to them, 'Oh, oh how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself. Look at the text and all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. A Few notes here. Verse 27 says, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all of the scriptures. I pointed out last week, and I really want you to understand this. Feel it underscored. He gets up out of the tomb, and he immediately begins talking to his disciples about the scripture. But note what he didn't do. He did not revise the scripture. He certainly didn't censor the scripture. And I, I wanna say this in context. If anybody would have been, if, any, if it would have been fair for anybody, say it that way, if it would have been fair for anybody to have problems with the scripture, it might have been a guy who had just been tortured and murdered through some people's misuse of the scripture. Now that's not the only reason. Rome had their part in it. But the Bible tells us he fell into religious hands who were using the very text that he goes back to. If anybody would have had, by my estimation, a fair right to say, you know what? Too much pain, too much hurt. But interestingly, Jesus did not get out of the grave, look at the disciples and say, we're going to get rid of those 39 books and we're going to commission a new one. It's going to be called the New Testament. It's going to have 27 books. And it's going to be far better than all that hard stuff back in that Old Testament, that anachronistic book to read. Jesus didn't commission the New Testament, he didn't replace the Old Testament, he didn't nullify the scripture, he didn't argue with the scripture, he didn't revise or censor the scripture, though he might have had right to, by many people's estimation. Jesus makes it clear, the only thing, and this is important, the only thing that he felt was needed in terms of the scripture was for them to be properly used. The problem, by his estimation, was never the scripture but rather the way people interpreted, applied, and used. Some could even say abused the scripture. They certainly abused him with them. Jesus took them back to the text. The second thing that I want to point out is the Bible says that his interpretation of the text came alive for them. One thing that Jesus did not do was just read the text on the surface and say, don't you understand? No, the Bible says he interpreted the text. For everybody who says we don't need to interpret the text, we just need to read it, well that fails to acknowledge the fact that reading itself is interpretation. But Jesus interpreted the text, he didn't just read it. And the Bible doesn't say that when he interpreted the text immediately they were like, wow, how did we not see that before? They still didn't see him. Even Jesus interpreting and preaching a message did not immediately open their eyes, which is saved for my soul because I know that I'm not always effective in your life. But the Bible says the interpretation came alive. Verse 31 says it this way. When he broke the bread and placed it in their hands, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him there's no wonder that the church all these years later is eucharistically centered why communion and the Lord's Supper is so important to us everything he had done in the interpretation of the text only came to fruition the Bible says literally when he took bread, blessed bread, broke bread and then gave them bread It had just been four days earlier, three to four days earlier, that he had taken bread, placed it in their hands, and said, this is my body broken for you. And all that came flooding back, the look of that hand, the look of their hand's cup, the feel of that bread, and the Bible says, then, 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 only then, were their eyes opened and they recognized him. And I think it's important to, to note They did not recognize him simply in the scripture. They didn't look and say, you know, when he broke the bread, they didn't pick up their Bible and say, "There, there you are, sure, now we see it. The Bible doesn't say that they recognized him in the scriptures, the Bible said they recognized him more importantly in their present moment. The real work of scripture is not to mesmerize you, the real work of scripture is for you to read enough until you are compelled to look up into the face away from the text. The text never intended to be the face. The map never intended to be the destination. Many people have had a tendency, self included, to make the map the destination. But God is always calling us to look up from the black letters on the white page into the flesh tones of God. Third thing that I wanna point out, it's very important in verse 32. The Bible says that after all of this, they were reflecting on the fact that Jesus had opened their eyes and that he had been with them along the road, unbeknownst to them, and Cleopas of the other looked at his traveling companion, and there was this exchange. After Jesus had appeared to them, after they had recognized him, the Bible says immediately he disappeared, and in the wake of his disappearance, They looked at one another and they shook their heads. And Cleopas looked at his traveling companion, Lee, and said, did you feel something back there? Did your heart burn inside of you when he was talking from the scripture? I knew there was something and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I wanna say this about the scripture. And I don't mean this to be so esoteric that you misunderstand it because I believe this happens in very practical ways, in human ways, the body of Christ. But when Jesus reads the text to you, you will hear it differently. They didn't even know it was Jesus, but Jesus was reading the text and interpreting the text, and they looked back and said, we should have known. Our hearts, butterflies, flip-flops, they were burning inside of us. Sheldon Vanalkin said, when the Holy Spirit unveils truth for you, you will hear it and it will have a ring of essential truth, a ring. They'll hit that key and the tension will be properly tuned and a tuning fork called the image of God inside of you will go off. I don't cause your tuning fork to go off all the time. I don't cause my own tuning fork to go off all the time. Sometime we just set out talking, doing our best, and somewhere in the midst of that, by grace, he comes. And he speaks to us. Pascal said, it was a great physician, mathematician, philosopher, theologian, he said that the voice came so clear that it was like fire. And all of the logic and all of the systematization was dropped to its knees in obeisance to the fire that seized me, Aquinas, one of the five greatest theologians of the Christian church, by all accounts, a doctor of the church, and Aquinas, after finishing Summa Theologica, perhaps the greatest work since the New Testament, and Aquinas says, I had an experience with God in the breaking of bread and the common cup, with beggars and widows at my side, a long way from the ivory tower of education, I had an experience when the bread was broken and it hit my tongue. Aquinas said all of my work became a straw. And he committed to his secretary that he would never write again because it's so paled in comparison to the sound in your soul when God begins to communicate with you. Frederick Beekner, my favorite author, says this about his conversion. He said, I was a young man, 27 years old, writing novels in New York City, and I scant believed in God, but I was alone and I was bored, and I liked the architecture of Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, which was home of the celebrated preacher, George Buttrick. He said, I went there out of boredom with no mind to search for God, and in 1953, around the time of the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II, Buttrick preached a message about her coronation. Dietner's words and then with his head bobbing up and down so that his glasses glittered he said in his odd sandy voice the voice of an old nurse he said that the coronation of Jesus took place among confession and tears and then as I yawned and God was and is my witness the old preacher said great laughter great laughter he said Perhaps no one heard it but myself. But he said that Jesus was crowned among confession and tears and great laughter. And at that phrase, great laughter, for reasons that I have never satisfactorily understood, the Great Wall of China crumbled, Atlantis rose up out of the sea, and on Madison Avenue at 73rd Street, tears leaped from my eyes as though I had been struck across the face. <laughs> I can't manufacture that for you and you can't manufacture that for me. All the sermons in the world combined can't do that. But there are those moments that our hearts burn within us. And this text on the first day of our Lord's resurrection reminds us why the Christian church sits at a table. Why every now and then we discomfort you by turning the chairs inward and causing us to look at one another across the table. This is the reason why we as a Christian church for 2,000 years have been sitting around a table and I wanna tell you our table is not attended by servants and it is not appointed with fine china and silverware. But our table, the Christian table from this day forward is a table where there are crumbs of bread that eternity will not make stale where there are cups of wine that will never grow old, and around that table there are lots of people, some of whom we would not sit beside in any other setting, some of whom we would never choose. But around this table sits a body of people looking at bread and wine, and in the midst of those crumbs and that cup, there is a book that many of you are afraid of, daunted by, even aggravated with, but it is scripture and Luke 24 says, in both, the, in both the Eucharist and the Scripture, God has set himself to doing a special work. Hear me, a supernatural work. Through a common cup and a common text, God has set himself to do a supernatural work of revealing God's self to us. Luke 24 said, it is not the hand of Stan Mitchell or the hand of any other, but it was the hand of Jesus on the bread that opened their eyes. And when the body of Christ walks down the aisle and puts that tray in your lap, or you come forward and they place a piece of bread, dia in your hand, these are not our hands, they are the hands of another and these hands with nail prints. Our hands are but gloves in which they are. It is the hand of Jesus on the bread that opened their eyes. And it is the voice of Jesus on their ears that opened the scripture. Our hearts burned while he was talking. Our hearts burned while he was opening. And amidst all the yawns that I can elicit and all the weariness that I can create with my best of sermons from time to time, here and there, now and then, a word comes through and your heart burns. My friend Dan Scott, who preceded me at Christ Church and then after I was gone, followed me at the same. Came back from Phoenix and followed me and has been a friend to me in the meantime. In the last couple of days, Dan and I have, been engaged, have engaged in a Facebook conversation of all things with another friend of mine named Jonathan Bartholomew. Jonathan's been a friend of mine for 20 years. He's a friend of a lot of you. Jonathan's the son of an Assembly of God preacher, a wonderful man and his wife. Jonathan and I have stayed very close. We're having lunch tomorrow. But Jonathan's journey intellectually and spiritually has taken him to another place. He and I do not see Jesus and the scripture and God the same. Um, Jonathan would not call himself an atheist, but certainly an agnostic seeking for truth. I personally, though my conclusions are not his, I'm very comforted by his heart and his openness. So in a Facebook conversation that was instigated by a post that I made about this series in the scripture, it was actually the email that I sent out to you as parishioners on Friday. I put that same thing on Facebook, and Dan, as we do going back and forth, Dan responded, Jonathan became engaged and they kind of t- took it over like Facebook trails go and it's been a wonderful conversation. You should go on and read some of it but I want to read a snippet of what uh, Dan said and if you like this really good, please don't go to Christchurch. Stay here with me. <laughs> it's always daunting, you know, when you're advertising your competition. <laughs> Dan said... And those of you who know Dan know how thoughtful he is. Dan said Jesus, if he really is alive, makes himself known to those who ask. If he does not make himself known, or if they do not ask, or if they do ask and they still believe he has not. It is not our responsibility then to market him. That is what makes modern evangelicalism increasingly repulsive. Not only to unbelievers but to our own children and grandchildren. There's a reason in 1954 75% of Nashville was in church. And today that number is dipping under 40% and we're the buckle of the Bible belt. We can bury our head in the sand. We can face this down and pray for God to help us have wisdom for the recovery. And I believe one awaits us. Read it again. Jesus, if he really is alive, makes himself known to those who ask. If he does not, or if they believe he has not, it is not our responsibility to market him. That is what makes modern evangelicalism increasingly repulsive, not only to unbelievers, but to our own children and grandchildren. The way forward must be in conversations like this in which the participants are respected and heard and into which the presence of Jesus is invited to reveal himself. In another posting later, Dan said, I suppose what I'm trying to say is that Christianity is supernatural. That Christianity, when it's done right, represents and facilitates the opening between the natural world and another level of reality beyond the natural world and that embracing this reality as a way of life utterly transforms broken human beings into something else. Saints, we call them. People who miraculously leave off with selfishness and are now ready to lay down their lives for others. People who end up reflecting the very glory of God. Either that, my friends, or we are playing a fool's game that we need to discard as an outdated antique, amen. Brother, our faith tradition has always been rooted in and is still rooted in the idea that God communicates, the idea that God is near and is involved. Our faith tradition is a belief that the transcendent, the holy other and the beyond is simultaneously committed to being imminently near us. This nearness for me is seldom overt and overwhelming. One of the things that I deeply, as an interdenominational church person, revere about my upbringing in the Wesleyan Pentecostal movement was that we tried, in all of our halting, unfit ways, Dave, we tried to say that our children should never just be recipients of a story and an other person's experience, our children should be able to engage the same risen Christ that was encountered on the day he first got out of the grave. What we were trying to say in all of our perhaps uneducated and halting ways, we were trying to say that Christianity is not the regurgitation of a 2,000 year old story. Christianity is the living presence of Jesus that is still being poured out upon every generation up until this present time. Now, with that said, we often categorize those exchanges with God in such metaphysical paranormal ways that a left brain child like me could never quite connect. And for that reason I left looking for Pascal's fire and Wesley's strange warming and my grandmother's tongues. I left with no visions or dreams, wondering if there was indeed the ability to look up from the text into a face and then little by little I began to realize that he meets each of us, do our personality in our ways. To the poets, he sings songs. To the left brains, he does math and intellectualism. To the mystic, he meets them in trances and visions unknown. But for me, I can tell you, this supernatural thing of encountering a risen Christ, a bleeding, suffering God, this nearness of the transcendent for me has seldom been overt and overwhelming. It has not been marked by bells and whistles, fireworks and hoopla. But most generally, it manifests itself in the most human and everyday forms through nature, goodness, and the breaking of bread with friends and enemies alike. I have yet to get the red letters of fire across the sky or the floating, incandescent, glowing I have yet to walk on water. The full embrace of that divine hand I have never felt, but as Beekner said, the brushing of fingertips have been mine, and last Sunday night with a group of incarcerated men, whose stories I don't want to know, lest it would turn my mind away from them. I can scarcely stand my own story at times, much less theirs. And I stand with them, broken, tattered beings, And their eyes glistening, they receive bread from me and fire. Red letters of fire across the sky replaced by the eyes of a man who so regrets what he did 40 years ago as an 18-year-old boy that he would give both arms up to his shoulders to have it to do again and yet there with broken bread and poured out wine, Fire. We are a people who believe God communicates and God communicates in what we call a prophetic and an apostolic voice. We are a church who believes with all the church that there is a prophetic and an apostolic voice, a prophetic and an apostolic office and Jesus is central to both of them. Look at Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 20 through 22 with me. We are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Listen, this church, the church for 2,000 years, that group of people sitting around a table with a scripture in their lap and bread and wine We are a people of whom the prophets spoke in advance. This chapter from a book about the church, that's what Ephesians is all about, tells us a story and tells us that the prophets spoke in advance of Jesus and then the apostles spoke in retrospect. They spoke about Jesus from the other side. And whether it was the prophets that spoke before or the apostles that spoke after They both spoke by him, through him, of him, and in him. They both spoke the timeless message of Emmanuel, God with us. When you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. The prophets spoke of that which they could not fully imagine, and the apostles spoke of something that we've spent the last 2,000 years growing into and still haven't wrapped our mind fully around. And every time the bread breaks and the little cup is tipped, Something drifts down into my heart of the fullness of this covenant with God, this imminent God that I have not known before. We are an apostolic prophetic people and that simply is a fancy way of saying God has chosen mediums through which to speak to us. Listen to 1 Peter 1 verses 8 through 12. Although you have not seen him, this is us, You love him and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Look at this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made careful search and inquiry. What'd they search and inquire of? The heart of God. The prophets of old prophesied searching and inquiring into the heart of God of a day that was not theirs yet. Look at this, verse 11, inquiring about the person or time that the spirit of Christ within them. Now that's bad theology for a lot of evangelicals because the spirit of Christ can't be in Old Testament people. And I wanna ask you this, the spirit of Christ was within the Old Testament prophets. Did they have a full understanding of the second person of the Trinity? Had they wrapped their minds around the idea of a Messiah and the Son of David and a crucified Lord and a risen Lord? No, 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 no. We all of us, like them, are filled with something that we still don't fully understand. And the Bible says the Spirit of Christ within them indicated when it testified in advance. Long before it happened, the Spirit of Christ was testifying in advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glory it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. Wow. The spirit of Christ that works within us is bigger than just us. The spirit of Christ that they didn't fully understand within them was serving others, not simply their own lives. And it was serving us in regard to the things that have now been announced to you through those who brought you good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Who's that? Who are those who brought you good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels longed to look? That's the apostles, of which Peter, the guy who writes this book, was one. The prophets, filled with the Spirit of Christ, spoke of that which they didn't even know how to name. They didn't know how to wrap their mind around the letters J-E-S-U-S but filled with one whom they could not name, they spoke of a day that they could not fully comprehend. And then that day came, the Holy Spirit fell, and the apostles now have brought this message to you. The Spirit of Christ within the prophets and the apostles bringing this message to the church. Listen, Acts the second chapter, look at a few more verses, Acts two, the last scripture we'll look at, but notice this. On the day of Pentecost, the Bible said Peter stood with the other 11 apostles, and Peter said to the Jewish people, fellow Israelites, look at it, I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day, since he was a prophet, prophetic office. He knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. For seeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, and I, I want to assure you that David did not know he was speaking of the resurrection of the Messiah when he wrote this psalm, but saying he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. First day of the church, last day of Eastertide, Pentecost Sunday, he's poured it out. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, set up my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now watch this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what do we do? Peter said to them, first message, repent, change your mind and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now watch. For the promises for you, for your children, that's what we were trying to say, for your children and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message, look at it, were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. I just told you what happened to the human family. The Holy Spirit of God has now been poured out. I want to tell you what the church's first response to that action of God was. After they were filled with the Holy Spirit, look at it, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. They devoted themselves to sitting down at the table in fellowship, breaking bread with the scriptures opened. Ah, wait a minute. Here, the scriptures are referred to as the apostles' teaching. There was no New Testament text. The apostles had just preached the new covenant, the New Testament, and they had used, listen the apostles had just used isaiah, joel, ezekiel, zechariah and the psalms and the church's response to hearing the message from the prophets through the apostles filled with the spirit they set down this is what we do as a church if anybody here wonders what our polity is it's the polity of the christian church universal The way we make decisions, the way we move forward with difficult issues, I'm telling you how we work here at Grace Point, and it is the way the church works. The church is that group of people who sit at the table and study the apostles' teaching and doctrine. And when they first did this on the day of Pentecost, the study of the apostles' teaching and doctrine was the study of, listen... The apostles teaching and doctrine was their interpretation of the Hebrew Scripture. They did not simply open up the Hebrew Scripture and read more material. They had been doing that for a long time. They studied the apostles teaching and doctrine or interpretation of the Hebrew Scriptures. The apostles taught and instructed these things after the experience of Pentecost. This is the way God works. He doesn't give you a text that conjures up an experience. He gives you an experience that helps you live with the text. The Bible says that on the day of Pentecost Peter stood and when the people said those guys are drunk, Peter said, no, they're not drunk as you suppose. Listen, this is that which was spoken. The most powerful experience that humans had known, the outpouring of God's spirit, Peter said this. I get it now. Been reading it my whole life. I've seen that scripture since I was a little boy in synagogue. Peter looked around and said this that you see is that which was spoken. We've been reading it, it's been spoken, but now we're experiencing it. And through his experience, he now came to his interpretation. They understood after the experience and their interpretation was driven by that experience. Listen to me, if that worries you, their experience did not change the text, their experience unveiled the text. And there have been a lot of Christians for a lot of years who have read the text one way, only to have that child come into your life, have that person, that experience come into your life that drives you back to the text, and Donna, all of a sudden you see it a different way. And some would say it's a manipulation of the text. The day of Pentecost says not true. It is the way the text works. He did not teach them about communion in the text. And then they sat down and said, let's try to do this the way the text said it. No, 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 He broke the bread, and then they understood the text. His spirit fell, and then they read Joel differently. And so I'll read to you now in close the next Facebook posting that I'm going to put. And JB, maybe this will be the one that gets to you. Probably not. And so, listen to me, we're about to do something really powerful around here the next three weeks. We're gonna sit with some issues from the earliest days of the church, from church history, and then we're gonna sit with some issues with a group of people at a table called the church with a broken bread and wine, and we're gonna invoke the spirit of Christ and the apostles' doctrine that we're gonna do the vocation of the church, and this is what I'll write. And so this has been the vocation, the responsibility of the community of faith called the Christian church from the very beginning. Our vocation is to sit faithfully with one another and God through God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, to sit with the communion of saints, dead and alive, the body of Christ, to sit at a table and to break bread and to allow God to open our eyes and open our minds and open the scripture. The beauty of scripture is its ability to relate to and its ability to be interpreted by and in every circumstance, every culture and context. This is why we call it a lively and living word for it is a word like the prophet Joel yet 800 years old finally understood as the spirit fell. This is not only the story of the first few generations of the Christian church but it is the story that has continued as a holy life-giving process until the present day. The gospel, the good news of God's love that forever was settled in the heart of God that was always and ever under the surface of the creation That was in the substrate of human history. The good news that was bubbling up in Israel's saga. That was brewing, stirring, percolating in her prophets. The good news that was manifest in Jesus. His life, death and resurrection. That good news of God's kingdom is continually unfolding around this table. The good news of God's kingdom is continually unfolding in all of its majestic beauty and glorious hope and mind-boggling promise. We have yet to fully know this beauty, this hope, and this promise, though it is continuing to be unveiled, revealed, and more fully manifest as the church, week after week, day after day, hour after hour, moment after moment, does more than comes to a service to have their ears scratched and their felt needs met. But we come as those filled with the Spirit of Christ on behalf of others, not ourselves not as consumers, but as saints. We come to a table where we bring creation's beauty and brokenness, and we allow Christ to break the bread and the scripture, yea, even our own hearts. The table that we come to is a table where our eyes can be opened, our minds can see for the first time, and we can think and feel as God sees and feels. This is the way of the church and this is the way of saint making. The first century church with its fresh outpouring of the spirit did not finish the work of the table, they simply continued it. The fourth and fifth century church with its canon and its creeds did not close the table, no. They simply facilitated and passed on to us a tradition, a process of community, communion and study that we faithfully give ourselves to. The prophetic, apostolic tradition that Jesus is cornerstone of is the age-old effort to hear the heart of God anew as it speaks specifically to our present life and setting. Brothers and sisters, this is an act of honesty, an act of love, and an act of courage. And the church has forever been about this business It is scary business, for I agree, it is much easier to believe that somebody 1900 years ago already got all of the answers, gave us all of the answers, and now all we are to do is to live them out. But in the midst of the answers they gave, they left us with resounding questions. And those questions carry us forward and the Spirit of God is always willing not to come to our debates or our arrogance or our denominational strife, but He is ever and again willing to sit down at the table with broken lives and broken bread and say, are you really willing to hear anew? Are you willing to be compelled? Next week we will walk into the life of the early church as it's said at that table, and the apostles themselves disagreed so violently that they could not minister together. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and we are capable of feeling so strongly about these things that somewhere in the tension the only relief is not the yielded answer. The only relief is to lift up bread and break it and say, oh Christ, the church is being torn apart. Will you come? will you speak and it's at that table that the church has forever been reforming itself constructing itself and doing the courageous work of change and as Dan said if that is not our work then we need to get rid of this antique move on from our anachronism and come into the twenty-first century but I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and the guiding voice of the Holy Spirit is more, is more compelling and applicable than anything that Hawkins, Hitchens, or Kitchens and the like can come up with. But I think desperately the church needs again and again for Christ to sit with this book that even in his life proved to be the most dangerous book in the world. And say would you mind if we look at that text in Romans again? Would you mind if we take that text in 1 Corinthians 7 or 1 Peter 2? Would you mind as Martin Luther King Jr. took this book and cast his ordination away, the Holy Spirit walked across the room, King said, and picked up the book and said, would you let me read to you one more time from Peter's epistle? Slaves be submissive to your masters even if they beat you without cause. And King said, as the words rang in my ears and I knew that for 19 centuries the church had defended slavery by the words of that apostolic preacher, I thought to myself, how could he say such things in the New Testament? But gently, as the Holy Spirit read, Slaves be submissive to your masters, even if they beat you without cause. For to this you were called. Before King said I could lift it and throw it as far from me as I could, I heard him read the next verse. For Christ has left us an example. Who had crucified and reviled, reviled not again. And he said the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart that which the church had not heard for 19 centuries that this was no more a defense of slavery than it was a defense of crucifying God. But the Holy Spirit said through the voice of a scripture that's not anachronistic and to be thrown away in a world where evils like slavery and crucifixion exist, even God with his redemptive hand could lay his hand on the most abject evil. And King said, I walked across that room and picked up again this book. For when Jesus reads the text to you brothers and sisters, it may not be tweaked, it may actually mean the exact opposite of everything you ever thought it meant. And when that happens to you, you are in good company because the first argument of the apostles was whether or not people like you and me called Gentiles could even be called children of God. I'm glad they worked that out, aren't you? And by grace, we are still working that process out today. Can you say amen? amen? Be brave, be courageous, be loving. There's work to do, oh church. Lord, thank you for this good day. Thank you for Mother's Day and these incredible ladies that are here and are a part of our life. Keep us at the table. Break not just bread, sweet Christ, break our hearts our wills and our stubbornness, our arrogance and our presumption. May we be reminded today that we are not a new movement, this is not a new Christianity, this is a Christianity as old as Jesus. We are a people who sit at a table with broken bread, broken hearts and an open text. Break even that text, Lord, that we might receive the true bread of life. Read the scriptures to us, Jesus, For we dare not read them alone, lest we indeed make this the most dangerous book in the world, maybe next to the Koran. Forgive us, Lord, for our misuse. We give ourselves in repentance to proper use. Teach us, Holy Spirit, teach us. And God's people said, amen. God bless you, go in God's peace. And if you have a mother near you, hug their necks. God bless you. We'll see you in the house of the Lord next week.